Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, it's Cameron. We're back for another week of Triumph and Disaster. And this week I have Nick German on, who is a former British Royal Marine Commando officer, 18 years, avid rugby player, but also before all this and during and after, he's also an actor and a, and a poet. And now he's a leadership consultant as well. And uh, a really, really amazing guy. We've we've hit it off really, really fast. And uh, there's the similarities between us are just absurd. So we became fast friends and um, only hung out a few times, but I thought he'd be perfect to have on the show. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. So this is Nick German, Triumph and Disaster. All right. Nick, hey, let's do this. here we are. In the car. So, Nick, we've uh, known each other pretty well, but we haven't known each other for that long. Um, so we're just going to talk as if, uh, you know, we're assuming nobody knows who you are. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, about you. And uh, so you were you were a British Royal Marine and you're an actor. And from what I've seen, you're actually a little bit of a poet. <laughs> um, um, well, that, that, that's um, that's under advisement, definitely. <laughs> and, and some people would say I was just an actor who happened to have spent a little bit of time in the Royal Marines. Um, one of the funniest things I heard when I left was a, a very great friend of mine said, "But mate, the Marines was your Hamlet," and I took huge offence in the first instance until I realised, hmm, actually, as an actor, I take that as something of a great compliment. Yeah, and how? So when you you, you were how many years was it again? Eighteen. Eighteen fucking yeah, years no, as an officer. For murder. <laughs> As, and so you so we've talked about some of this stuff before but like i said you know we're, i'm just yeah. gonna so so like how what when, at what point did you know that that was what you wanted to do or at least at that time oh, um well i know the exact point but sort of leading up to it i wanted to be as i suspect many young boys do i wanted to be a sports sportsman as those listening can tell I'm clearly British uh, so I wanted to play football or soccer mm -hmm. um, and then I, for some reason I wanted to be a train driver I, I didn't last very long mm -hmm. um, and I think I wanted to be a lawyer again I think because I thought it was cool and then the Falklands War happened in 1982 oh, yeah. and I remember watching it and seeing specifically the Royal Marines and reading about them and hearing about them and what an extraordinary you know, group of men they were. And I, I use the term men advisably because at the time and, and right now it's still an exclusive, exclusively male um, organisation apart from the band service, although it's gratifying to hear that in 2019 that we will be accepting women into the commando role. So women, although they're still available, they can still become commandos, but not in the Marines. They mm -hmm. still do the commando course. In 2019, they'll actually be allowed to join the Royal Marines um, and have the opportunity. In a combat role. Yeah, and have the opportunity huh. to um, become commandos and serve alongside and as part of and you know, with no differentiation whatsoever. Wow. So, yeah, I but know, it's a big, big news. So, but you, that's not true for the U.S. Marines yet. Not that I'm aware of. Not for the combat. I can't comment. I'm not sure. Maybe not for combat. Yeah. There have been women in the U.S. Marine Corps for, for a number yeah. of years. Again, I'm that's not true. an expert in their timings. Um, but what was it like, because I think I, I think I know, but just so, what was it that, what was it that drew you towards it? Because I, I, I have a feeling that it's more than just... There must have been some in internal things like for yourself that you needed to. Uh... You're asking me to be vulnerable. <laughs> you, you don't have. You can go only as far as you want to go. Not spin out the, the, the... 
But I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, that I, someone I, who is a I, I, someone who isn't who is a, an artist and an actor who did eighteen years as a fucking officer in the British Royal Marines. There's there's uh, that's interesting, man. Stuff going on. Yeah, there's a lot of well, I, I'm assuming, and I know I know personally, I'll, I'll but there's a lot of stuff that um, I, I, that you needed to explore or uh, challenge yourself with in yes, some way. You know, that's absolutely right. No, and it started off and ostensibly and clearly, you know, at the time I didn't recognize what might have been the deeper, truer motivations, but uh, I was never interested in business or being in an office or anything along those lines. Right. I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout, and I wanted to run around and charge around outside in the woods. Um, I enjoyed sport and, and, and acting, the only two things that I really enjoyed. Um, I, I, had a, I had a sense of duty to my country for whatever reasons. Mm-hmm. At the time, I, I might not agree with it today, or it might have changed today, but at the time, that's who I was, and I'm right. very proud of that. Um, but with hindsight, with reflection, through therapy, through meditation and various bits and pieces, I think I had a lot to prove. I Which was, we'll get to also, by the way. Okay. But but continue, please. Uh, I had a lot to prove to myself, and I felt I had to prove it to others. Until I mean, I stand six foot two now, and I'm you know, not particularly small. Um, I, up until 15, I was the smallest guy in my year at school, and I was bullied. Not, not dramatically, but I was bullied, and it, it, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to stand up for myself in some way. Um, and I start. I took up karate, and that helped me stand up for myself a little bit. Gave me a bit of a sense of confidence, a little bit of sense of you know, possibly misdirected ma- machismo mm-hmm. or masculinity. I'm not sure that's necessarily true after reflection, but at the time, that's what I thought I needed to do. And at the time, I believed the most manly thing a man could do would be was to be a soldier, mm-hmm. and to be, for me, the the, the best military um, force in the the lexicon of British military was the Royal Marines. It was mm-hmm. the hardest thing to get into. I would agree. So, so to get into it was going to be this huge challenge, which if successful, then I was going to, in my mind, become a big man. And and actually, I think at the time, as importantly, I wanted it to be in others' minds as well, that I was a big man. Sure. You know, I'm sure there's family issues there. My father um, was perhaps not the most affectionate, and I think I craved it and wanted to be a big man to him. Yeah. Um, but there's something true with with there, it's there's something that I mean it's really not bullshit with the uh, the idea of, of uh, going through sort of a crucible sort of an initiation because uh, and I've talked about this before with other people in the past briefly that we don't have in our I mean in Western culture not just you know we're talking about our, our cultures are very similar in most ways but and we don't have that that transition where. It's just all of a sudden, and that's why you have guys that are, am I, yeah, wait a minute, am I, yeah, exactly. That's I guess I'm a man now, I guess, yeah. I, I suppose. I mean, that does, that that is something there that does transform you into that because it's not a, it's not a game. It's not a game and you realize very quickly that it's not a game as a, as a young person. That's a great point and whilst, you no, know, I have certainly moved on from, from that space in my life now, I would advocate no, at least a, a small period of time in the military for every man, every, every man, possibly every woman as well. I don't understand women at all, so mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it would be appropriate for them. But certainly from a, a male perspective, to get some discipline, to have an understanding of that, to have an understanding of camaraderie, of teamwork, you know, of challenge, of... Uh, facing yourself, yeah, too. Facing I mean, at least boot camp, right? At least, yeah, yeah because... operate in circumstances which are difficult. And you have so much more within you than there's no way that you will know until you're pushed to that point. And that's kind of the point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what are you capable of? If you don't challenge yourself, you'll never know. So what... Um, you mentioned that you were interested, obviously, you're, you know, rugby, football, uh, 
acting and then you were interested in, in the military. I so was, I never touched rugby, which is the, a huge that came later. Mine until I got to university. Okay, but now uh, that overrides almost everything. Yeah, almost everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you mentioned act. So did you? Did you were you involved in uh, in acting or anything when you were younger as well? Oh, or? Very much. Yeah. Very, and the first thing I can remember was understudying Oliver at uh, at middle school as I, I guess eight eight or nine year old, uh, and I actually sang "Where Is Love" at an old people's home in L.A. something like thirty five or so years later <laughs> um, at a Christmas thing when I was studying acting over here. Um, so that that was one of my earliest. I remember playing. Um, Captain Hook in a Peter Pan um, adaptation at school as well. These were both plays. And then when I went to school, I, I was involved in, um, they would do two, a musical and a sort of operetta. Um, so I did a lot of um, Gilbert and Sullivan and Franz Lehar, The Merry Widow, um, Joseph. And at 17, when I was one of the oldest there, I played Jesus in Superstar. And that year as well, we put together a band, a Blues Brothers tribute band. No we, way. Yeah, we put together a 15-piece blues band. That's All amazing. The kids at school, I was the oldest. There were 14, 15-year-olds who were just stunning musicians. And we sold out the local hall. Um, I think they thought the real Blues Brothers were coming. Yeah. In 1987, so John Belushi was already dead. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, and that was a fantastic opportunity. And we were hired on the back of that and went up to the Hammersmith Palais and, and played a, a student party up there, um, which was an extraordinary experience. And then my first degree is in history and drama. And uh, then I sang in bands throughout university and did I did one proper play, apart from the stuff that we did in, as, as part of the curriculum. I did um, uh, Shakespeare's The Two Gentlemen of Verona, where I played Launce, who is the comic relief and acts with a dog. Huh. And actually, an agent from Zeffirelli came up to me afterwards, me and the lead, uh, and asked for our details. Holy uh, shit! So I didn't actually didn't know about this stuff. No, no, so, no, um, now, well, did you? This is, but this is something that's a common theme, and 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 a, a big reason why I even do this thing that I, I think is interesting and something to address. And maybe it wasn't, maybe there wasn't a, con- a conflict or any compromise. But, um, and there have been with other guys that have, that have been on the show, but, um, uh. So when you were doing this stuff, was there any sort of blowback in, in the culture that you grew up in from other guys or other kids your age for doing that as being something that's not something that you probably should be doing because you're a guy? Do you know what I mean? With the acting side of things. Yes. Yeah. Oh, acting, the singing, this kind of stuff. Oh, of course. Okay. Of course, and I know exactly where you're going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, interestingly, there was, a ju- there was a juxtaposition with going back to my school friends as a Marine officer. Suddenly they thought I was cool suddenly the kid who was right. the last to be picked at soccer and I was a long way from being the worst right. um, but was last to be picked because I was quite slight and I wasn't very popular at school suddenly they were desperate for me to play with them because I was now uh, a mid-twenties Royal Marines officer interesting player, how that works yeah, yeah. but also within, within this archetypal machismo society of the Marines I was known as the gay Marine for many years because, <laughs> because I like musical theatre because I love music. Well, you were you were completely open that you were oh, into absolutely. that stuff. I was out of the closet very young. Uh, and, and I came out of the closet. <laughs> out of that closet. Out of that closet, yeah, very early in my time in the Marines. Now, I, I had nothing nothing to be ashamed of. And I remember when we were in training, we had a cultural day up in London. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And people all got tickets to go and see Blood Brothers, to see a West End show. Admittedly, about 80% didn't go because mm-hmm. there were far too many pubs available. Okay. They thought it was, a, they thought it was no, not the right thing. Right. Um, a number of people did go and had a fantastic time and explored and understood a different 
something different, something culturally different. See, you... Okay, so you, you're perfect for, for this show. This is exactly what, I, what this is all about. And, like, the fact that you had no problem saying no i fucking I'm, i love this shit this is well, what i do I had, no pro- I had no problem saying it i've then dealt for years with the um with the highly sensitive actors um neurology that i have which takes offense when they say when, when i was called the gay marine for many mm-hmm. times and you know and made me question my sexuality at times and, it really did well, to I that mean, level not, not, to, not to the point where i actually experimented <laughs> no but to but, but the point where i thought really why are they doing so? Yeah, what does that mean? Is that wrong for me to like? It contributed to me never fe- never having a sense of being part of it. Mm. It contributed to me never feeling as if I fitted in. Right. And again, it wasn't... In either place, I'm guessing. In, 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 anywhere. Right. Ever. Right. Um, and it wasn't until, again, until afterwards on reflection and recognizing that the great strength of the Royal Marines is its diversity of character. It is not homogenous in the... It does not break people down and rebuild them in exactly the same model as a lot of people think and a lot of military organizations actually do. It yeah. recruits you know, um, nationally as opposed to locally and regionally across Britain um, and it desperately wants and, and revels in in a richness of character, of different characters. I, I've, I've known a ballet dancer who was a marine officer, you know, various people with all sorts of backgrounds and experience. And it was actually the fact that I didn't conform that was probably my greatest strength in the military and probably the reason why, whether I believed or not, I fitted in perfectly. And hey, I lasted 18 years and got promoted to lieutenant colonel, so I, yeah. was, I was doing some stuff right no matter what I thought. Which is, in case anybody doesn't know, just two steps away from a general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, two steps away in promotion, quite a long way metaphorically. Sure. Well, but, I mean, come on, let's give it, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's up there, man. Friends, yeah. Friends of mine are generals now. There you go. So that, I find that, see, the, I, I, I really admire that. I think that's... That's the whole thing is like, but so many other guys uh, may have been in similar shoes, uh, but felt like they couldn't, they couldn't do it or they couldn't, they, they couldn't talk about it or they had, or they, or maybe not do it at all because it's, uh, it, it wouldn't fit in. They wouldn't, they, well, you know. It's a, it's a great point, isn't it? Here's me sitting here having had a, a great career, you know, complaining a little bit or, 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 or judging myself for being weak and joining the military for weak reasons when actually it was it was those exact circumstances that led me to a very successful career where I got to travel the world and make great friends and it, it, it speaks a little bit to, to Tony some some of the stuff that Tony Robbins says. Mm-hmm. And no we we criticize and decide that we don't like some of the things that our parents and our early lives and our teachers maybe did to us. But one way or another they made us who we are. Mm-hmm. And if we've actually achieved something even if it's in spite of that, it's not in spite of that. It's because of that. Right. Initially, so yeah. yeah. Now, I think this is the first time I've said it. I think I'm probably grateful to my father for being you know, a little bit inattentive and being a little bit unavailable because he pushed me to into a position where I was successful. He, he gave me the drive without... I don't know if he meant to do it. Right. But if he did, it was genius. Right. But, and who knows Who knows what you'd be doing right now had yeah, it been different. Yeah. So you said, you mentioned a couple other things too about uh, meditation, for example. Uh, and that's another thing. I don't find any, any problem with it. I don't find any conflict with this. But I think there's a, certain, there's a certain view, there's a certain way that people sort of assume, you know, this, a, a guy who does these kind of things, it's a rugby player, British Royal Marine officer, all this stuff, and you, medit- and you meditate. You've gone on like, how long, these silent retreats? I've done two 10-day silent retreats and a number of other smaller things, not 
I've done a 24 hour silent retreat and a couple of those, well I just did for myself a two a Vipassana 10 day silent retreats um, down near Palm Springs, which is a almost as big a challenge as the commander course was for the mind. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's so saying something as well. And, and I hear your point, your juxtaposition, but the, 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 this idea that meditation doesn't quite suit or fit in that character that is a military man and a rugby player and, and ostensibly a very masculine man. And meditation, sure. And meditation and musical theatre all sound right. a little bit new agey and a little bit metrosexual. And It would make you a better one, though. It well, would make you a better anything. Well, You're, here's the thing. I am a man. No, no matter what my sexual preferences are, I yeah. happen to be the way I am. But I am a man, and I happen to like those things. So one way or another, it's irrelevant what I choose to do. None of them are unmanly because they choose to be what I do. And I find that they actually complement each other. Yeah. Um, and the, the, But here's the thing. I didn't start meditating because I had some kind of spiritual awakening or some kind of understanding of mindfulness, which is the way it's being sold today, right. and which I now support and understand. I took it up because I was looking to have a rest when I came over here. Because I'd, I was, when I, in my final job in the military, I, would, I was working out quite a lot, and at lunch times, I'd have a nap. Mm-hmm. I'd work out, have lunch, come back to my room, and have a nap, and a power nap for 10 minutes. It right. really rejuvenated me as a late 30s, early 40s guy for some reason. I'd actually done it before when I'd been on the ship. I used to do the same thing. Ten minutes, Sparco, completely out, no alarm needed. I wake up after ten minutes, Perfect. shake it all off, and I'm, I'm up and raring to go. It really energized me for the afternoon. So I was really interested in how I was going to be able to, to get into that space when I came over here and I was working as a, well, I was studying, which were going to be long days, doing new things. I imagined that that was going to be quite hard work for me, and I knew also I needed to rip down some boundaries and be emotional, how tiring that can be. So at the time I was thinking about this, I, I just read about a new meditation service called um, Headspace. Mm-hmm. They're actually based in Venice. And mm-hmm. Which is where we are right now. Yeah. Just They're just down the road. I've never been to the headquarters, but they had an inaugural event at the BAFTA headquarters in London. And I happened to be free and available. And I went up and did this one day. It was free. This, this one day um, workshop on meditation. And... I can't say I really loved it, Mm -hmm. but I thought this might be useful, so I started taking their program, which was free, and you can get the app, and I'm not advertising it for any other reason, but I've done it, and I believe in it. Uh, I think everyone could benefit from this. Um, And that led, so that was literally maybe three or four months before I came to the States, but about six or seven months before I started, uh, I started at the Lee Strasberg Theatre, or Institute, sorry, Mm -hmm. and... um, so I started doing it. I was doing it fairly regularly, trying to do it fairly regularly and trying to get into this place where it refreshed me because I wasn't going to be able to go to bed. I suspected, as what happened, I suspected I was going to be living in Santa Monica and working in West Hollywood and there was no way I was going to be driving or riding back to Santa Monica to have a 10-minute nap right. and then go back to school. So I was looking for something I could just find a quiet spot, okay. sit down, close my eyes and you know, follow your breath or whatever your meditative practice might be. And that led me, when I got here... I now started to understand a little bit about meditation and that you sit there to be quiet, to allow thoughts to bubble up, to let things let things happen. And you're not ju- you're not trying to suppress thought, you're right. actually allowing thought and then following your breath and when thought comes, blah, blah, blah. Right. I'm not a meditation guru, so I certainly don't want to try Sure. To yeah, but you know what? It doesn't take that much, really, to, 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 to describe yeah. what it is that you, to it do, really you know? It doesn't. Yeah. But so, I, so that led me to Buddhism. And I'm not a Buddhist. Because I refuse to take refuge because I enjoy sex and alcohol. And they are, too, and <laughs> yeah. they are, they are yeah. supposedly forbidden. And I suspect right. there's an awful lot of hypocritical people out there who claim 
maybe to be of a certain persuasion, but are breaking some of the rules sure. of the organization without um, anyway. So that led <laughs> to a Tibetan Buddhist um, camp, I don't know, up near Santa Cruz called uh, Vajrapani. Mm -hmm. And I went up there for a day and ended up staying a week and started listening to some of their teachings. My now one of my great friends is a Tibetan Buddhist nun called Tenzin Chogi, who I adore. Mm -hmm. She's a great mentor of mine, six foot five woman. What? Yep, she's a big girl. <laughs> but she's wonderful, she's inspirational and just full of love. And so I started listening to some of their teachings and started thinking about silent meditation. And then I went back there three months later and did my first 24 hours up in solitude and I forced myself to be silent. I was actually checking that, you know, the reason I came over here was to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I was checking that that was real. I was sitting, trying to be okay. silent and allow anything to bubble up just in case there was something underneath it. That so I you just wanted to be real honest with yourself yeah, then. Trying yeah. to be honest with yeah. myself. And nothing new came up, so I carried on that path. And then... Whilst I was up there, I was introduced to the concept of silent med meditation to the Vipassana technique, which is a very, very simple meditation technique, um, which I still employ occasionally when I, when I get back around to meditation because I'm, um, I, I'm flawed in my meditation practice. Um, and that led me to a 10-day to a silent Goenka um, retreat, which was a, a challenge. So 10 days and you didn't say a word? Well... There were a couple of words spoken. We were not, you were not allowed to communicate in any way, so you weren't actually even allowed to look people in the eye. So there's a walking track there, and clearly you're walking from your accommodation to the, the galley, the kitchen, the mess hall, whatever you want to call it, where the food is made, mm -hmm. um, and to the meditation hall. But you were supposed to not look people in the eye because that's a form of communication. Okay. Uh, it was segregated, men and women, men not allowed in the women's house, half of the camp, women not allowed in the men's, clearly. There was, um, the, the meditations were led, so you, 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 you heard the instructions, mm -hmm. um, and I think every day you were people were brought. And maybe every day, maybe other day, I'm not sure. Little groups of four or five would go up and sit in front of the teacher, and he or she would ask you how you were getting on, okay. and if you were struggling with anything. So there were a couple of words okay. spoken that essentially, though, essentially though, didn't speak to anyone for ten days. Yeah, what did that do to you? Well, in the first instance, I found I thought, seriously, this is going to be easy. Really, all I have to do is right. not say anything. Um, and they're not saying anything in and of itself was fine. But when you're sitting down, cross-legged or on a chair, if you have a bad back, um, with your hands on your, and your eyes closed, and there's no, there's absolutely no distraction in the room. The room is silent. Poof, man, man, you got to face a shitstorm inside. I, I was having <laughs> panic attacks for the first couple of days. I kid you not. Yeah. First couple of days, the first time I did it panicking because I was so unused to being still yeah, and to allowing these thoughts to come up and it was really hard work but I had a I had an experience on day six that made me think it was all worth it when everything dissolved and I'm not a great meditator I'm not I don't really know what I'm doing I'm not very good at it I'm unfocused my I'm not sure being good at it is the right way to do it I, yeah like yoga but I was going through the, I, was, I was doing what, the best I could yeah I was trying to do what they were asking me to do and I was having no success. There was no trying to say, oh, my God, I'm floating in a cloud. My body is yeah. completely divorced from everything. Oh, this is great. No, it was just painful. Yeah. My body was in pain the entire time, sitting in the position. And my mind, my monkey mind was screaming at me all the time. Look at the girls. Look at the girls. <laughs> and, um, but on day six, I remember walking out afterwards. And one of the guys said, hey, what happened? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're normally the first person when the bell goes at the end of the hour, and this is an mm -hmm. hour of time, and we were meditating. I did the bare minimum of maybe seven or eight hours a day, and you were supposed to be doing 10, 12. Okay. 
And um, he said, what happened? I said, what do you mean? He said, you're normally the first out um, when the bell goes. You're certainly out before me. And this time you were last. <laughs> you stayed in the position with your eyes closed. I went, yeah, I did kind of have something. I said, I don't know what point during the hour it happened, but at some point everything dissolved. Everything, there was nothing. It was as if, I, w- I don't know what I was, I had no idea what I was, but it was just everything was black with stars. Or, I don't know if they were stars, just bright lights. Yeah. Just a little speckled. It was, I just disappeared. Wow. I had no sense of body or anything, but it literally, I say that because now I'm looking back and rationalizing it, had no sense of anything other than, oh my God. Your ego and disappeared. Everything disappeared, yeah. but it was so, it was instantaneous, because as soon as it went, I went, oh, we got to love this, and I tried to grab all Okay, it, okay. You know, if you understand much about Buddhism, that attachment is right. a big thing. As soon as I tried to grab it, it disappeared. So it's I like trying to see, grab smoke in the air or something. It's like, it just goes. yeah, yeah. And I came straight back to my body, and this, this didn't even last a second. It was, this was not five, ten minutes of dreamy other world state. It was, it was a split second. <gasps> oh, wait. Uh-huh, thank God. And, um, so I was sitting there for an extra 20 minutes trying to get it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I've, I've done a lot of meditation since. I've done another 10 day and I've never got close. I, well, I don't know how, if I've got close to it, but I've never experienced anything like that before. But it was magical. Do you do a, a practice, a daily practice? Like I've just started again. Yeah. I've just started again because you know, I, 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 I'm not the person I want to be in all the relationships I have in my life. I sat down and looked at why that might be and why sometimes I get upset about things that I might not need to. And on reflection and on talking things through, there probably wasn't a requirement for me to get upset. Mm -hmm. So I've looked back at when this has happened before and I've realized that I can be controlling, very controlling uh, and manipulative and very selfish. And the most loving I've ever been, the most selfless I've ever been, the most... No, uh, uncontrolling. What's the opposite of controlling? Just letting things go. Yeah, yeah. What's the opposite of controlling? Yeah, I, what is the word for that? You're the Englishman. Uncontrolled. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Damn, damn. I'm the peasant let, let, that let took down, your language. Let down by a little bit of the <laughs> <laughs> We could talk about how I tried to play. I'm genuinely bad. I'm sure I'm going red. I'm not looking at you. Anyway. It's like the Van Halen moment the other night. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I reflected on when I was the most loving, you know, not seeking control, just willing to be, and it was when I came out of that that first ten days, and it was through meditation and through just following my breath and through removing angst and anxiety and not trying to be stuff. So literally, in the last week, I've started yeah. started again, just a very short amount. You don't have to do a huge amount not that I'm teaching, but I'm doing ten to fifteen minutes a day at the moment. And I'm also I also find, and this is taught all over the place as well. You can meditate all day. Mm. All you need to do is just follow your breath occasionally. Right. And calm the monkey mind. Right. Let the monkey mind know that, you know, to focus on your breath as opposed to all the chatter and all the nonsense and all the thoughts, none of which are true. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, you can do it right now. Like, right now, I bet you someone out there listening right now, like, uh, you're not aware of how you're... People m- listen to this? There might, my, my, <laughs> grand, my grandma probably listens to oh, it. Oh, dear. I Maybe. Swear, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I mean, but for example, you uh, you don't know like what 
what your left toe feels like in your sock right now or so you know i'm just giving a random example no, oh okay so this is you know you're not aware of everything it's well, just to bring you back to so you something do a walking meditation and start feeling your feet on the ground again i'm not talking barefoot on the grass which is beautiful but you know, i can feel my feet suddenly now and i wasn't feeling them i can start to feel a little bit of air on my face as opposed to just walking constantly on our phones constantly distracted and yeah. we're not on our phones we're distracted by something else we've got music in our ears we're not listening to anything we don't hear the birds we don't feel the wind and we're not ourselves and we're not calm and peaceful we're constantly agitated in a state of agitation in a state of monkey mind yeah and i have a have a desire to build a um uh, to build a sculpture of some sort which is a rampaging bull elephant made up of monkeys oh that's so That's the elephant, yeah. there's no substance to the elephant other than the monkeys. Right. So the monkeys' arms and legs and, and, and tongues and things, and they're just crazy and berserk, and this elephant is just rampaging. I'd love to That's a perfect it. image. Yeah. Yeah, of just all these thoughts and feelings and the monkey monkey. everything that just, yeah, just rampages through your head all the time that you confront yourself with when we, you do this. We're just so distracted all the time. And, and so a benefit of that is you're, I mean, at least for me, and this is kind of a, because we have so many fucking crazy, crazy similarities in our life. I mean, they're not the same, but there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. And, uh, I like, so for me, just for example, and I'm not making this about me, but just to kind of segue into something similar with mm-hmm. your experience. Um, I, when I was, uh, in my early twenties, I, uh, I got into a, a teacher who was a teacher at the Strasburg Institute in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. He taught there in like the 70s and 80s for... His name was Douglas Dirksen. No, he was... This is like 70s and 80s. It was like Uh, Lee actually appointed him to to teach there for a while. The guy, my great teacher, one of the guy who I would have paid and worked with, Mark Marno, only died this year. And he was appointed by Lee. Okay. All right. Well, they probably knew each other. They probably knew each other. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, so... um, This guy changed my life. And uh, he... I'll never forget him. I'll never forget him. but being at that age, and it was uh, not long after my military experience. Window, Please do. We're fogging this thing up. All right. Glad you did that. Fuck's sake. Sorry, Grandma. Um, Sorry, Grandma. Yeah. So I remember him. Yeah. I don't think they're listening. Um, but I remember him saying, like, I was so fucking clueless about myself. So fucking clueless. And I, I just remember him saying, you, you need to know yourself. And I had no idea, no idea what that even meant. I was like, know myself, I'm Cam. We what does that mean? Generation where we weren't taught, know myself. We weren't, we weren't taught to understand anything when we went through school. We were purely educated in order to pass exams, in order to feed... Be part of the factory? Of yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Bells ring like a, like a fucking factory bell, and then, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah, so, clueless, clueless. And this process that I went through, it, it changed my fucking life. And uh, and during that process, I kind of got into meditation. And it wasn't a spiritual thing either. But it, I actually did it in a selfish way. You know, I, that's not maybe not entirely true. I was really exploring in a lot of ways for years. But I found, maybe by accident, by doing this, um, and I was very disciplined, especially at that time, because it was fresh out of the military experience i just kind of transferred that crazy obsessive discipline into something else (laughs) but uh yeah and it was always like 100 percent or nothing (laughs) black or white oh fuck yeah Yeah. i mean yeah (laughs) totally unbalanced but but it does help you get some shit done but anyway um so i discovered because i was doing this a couple times a day usually twice 30 minutes a day morning and night i discovered just that i haven't for years by the way but i need to get back on it Um, 
but I found that I just became the result of it was I, I became so aware of myself at all times. It was almost like there was a person outside of myself observing myself. And I just knew when, when, when feelings bubbled up or a thought would bubble up or if anger bubbled up, oh, here I am, I'm, I feel this anger. I, there was complete, I don't want to say control over it, but there was awareness over it. And it made me a better actor. It made me a better actor, oh, cool. you know? And I think no matter what you do, it's going to make you a better everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And being Absolutely. an actor makes you a better person because being an actor is the study of self and relationship. And all we are in in life is in relationship. We're in relation to ourselves and to everything else. Yeah. Everything. And studying and understanding and relating to that can only make you a better person and subsequently a better actor. And people, I, would, I would advocate the teaching of acting to everyone. It should be compulsory in schools. Yeah, I think most people don't realize... I mean, look, we, when we say acting, we have our own opinions about it, and we came from a similar discipline, so we obviously have a probably very similar idea of what it is. But if you're talking about our idea, it's, it's about self-awareness, knowing who you are, brutal honesty, brutal honesty. Uh, and exposure... This is not easy shit, by the way. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. So, uh, and before that, though, it's it's not... No, no. That's where the book's called? Well, there we go. I'll put it up. I'll look it up, and I'll put it on the... It's triumphanddisasterblog.com. So anything that we talk about like this, I'll put it up there so everybody can check it out. Okay, so it's about this stuff. She, uh, her books introduced me to, to vulnerability and the, and the need to be honest and open with ourselves and other people in order to uh, relate and connect because we live in a disconnected world and we don't connect to people because we're not honest, because we're never there. Right. We're never in place. We're never focused on the other person. We're always distracted by... Even just, I was reading the other day, even just, and this is clearly true, even just having a cell phone in your pocket changes the way you relate to the person you're talking to. Because you, cause you think because about you, it you, you want to go to it or... Right. If, you get into an, if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone, and I mean by, by relationship, I mean any any connection to any person, just walking down the street and you look up, you're connected, you have a relationship suddenly with that person. And you have a gun on your person, yeah. that relationship is going to be Absolutely. Yeah. It's, just, it's not the same thing, but if you have a mobile phone on your person... It changes the dynamic. It changes, changes the dynamic. Are yeah. you waiting for a call? Yeah. Are you, is there something going on you're missing? Because that's what everyone thinks. Of exactly. Is. That's what you're missing. I'm missing something. Even that's though there's right. someone right in front of your face. That's what you're missing. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. About what you're missing. Right. Yeah. So you detach from everything. You detach from everything. There's another book called Shum. I think it's called Shambhala, if I remember right. I've read this years ago. But ironically, this has popped up when you mentioned that. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it's based on on Buddhism, uh, but it's all about vulnerability. It's all about that. Uh, well, I'll so put that up too. So, so much leadership training these days is about vulnerability as well, about being honest. And if I look back at some of the things, the greatest things that I did, the best leadership example, leadership examples that I set as a marine officer and hopefully in life as well, have been when I've owned up to my mistakes. Yeah. When I've been. When you own it. When you when take I responsibility it, for. I take responsibility. I'm vulnerable. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this, but I need to tell you the truth because otherwise. I'm letting myself down and I'm letting you down. And then what do you do from there? Then you see what happens. You stand then you up and you say, this is me. You take care of whatever that... And you say, I'm a leader and this is who I am and you come with me or not. But I'm being honest. Most people don't lead. Most people look to um, give other people what they want. That's not leadership. Tell me more about that. What do you think What do you think good leadership is? That's the number one thing? Yeah, I, mean, I wish I hadn't started. Integrity. Okay. Well, you don't have to do... You know, I mean, that's right a, you, know, you can make this... You can do I a summation two, if you'd distinct, like. Two distinct components to it. The first one is that you need to stand up and be willing to be counted for your perspective, for your 
actions, for your actions probably more than your perspective. The perspective is less important. For your actions. You stand up and say, this is what I believe, this is who I am. And the other one is... And you can't do that without knowing yourself. You probably can't. You probably can't. So, so maybe I knew maybe, or maybe we've known ourselves better than we think because we all judge ourselves so bloody harshly constantly. True enough. And that's not fair either. The other side of it, and we've not prepared this, or I haven't prepared this, but the other thing that yeah. brings directly to mind is that there's a difference between being a leader and being in a leadership role. They're distinct, although they are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. In my personal opinion, everyone is a leader, even if to yourself. And we can explore that either later in this or at another time. But also, once you, when you're in a leadership role, then it's no longer about you. It's now about your team. It's about the mission, about what you're trying to achieve, and it's mm -hmm. about unlocking the potential of others. Then when you're in a leadership role, it's all about helping others realize their best selves. Bring the best out of them. Bringing the best out of others. Yeah. And generally, in order to achieve something. No, in order to achieve something as, right. a, as a team, whatever that team is. And you have great examples all over the worlds of sport and business, etc. And so they need to know what whatever that vision is. Clearly, oh, in, on very clear terms. It, you have to have a very clear clarity. Is absolutely, yeah. clear, absolutely vital to what we're doing, and so much. So it's not just like go do this, and I'm not going to tell you why. No, you've got to tell people why. You've got to tell them yeah. what and why, but not the how. So you empower them and you give them the chance to make mistakes. You've got to let people make mistakes. Michael Jordan, Thomas Edison, they both said they wouldn't have achieved what they did in life if they hadn't screwed up continually for years beforehand. You know, making mistakes and the the environment in that enables mistakes is an environment that enables innovation. Without the freedom, the headspace to make mistakes, you're never going to change. Yeah. Nothing's going. Nothing new is ever going to come. You've got to. You've got to break something. It's like going to the gym. If you don't, if you don't try and lift a little bit more than you're capable of, then your muscles are never going to get any bigger. You're right. never going to get any stronger if you don't push yourself a little bit further. You're never going to change. Nothing's going to change. We've got to make mistakes. We've got to break in order to grow. So that the environment that we enable is absolutely vital for innovation today. And, and that is something a good leader or a great leader does. They enable this environment. You celebrate success, but you do not denigrate failure. As long as it's well-intentioned failure. Mm -hmm. You say to them, hey, I love what you're doing. Make the same mistakes again, and we're going to have a chat in the office with the door closed. But I love your, I love what you're trying to do. Keep going. Keep going. So as a leader, you would actually, in a way, when you're checking in, you're kind of taking responsibility for their, you're even owning their progress or lack of. Absolutely. Completely. Yeah. It's all about responsibility. When a team wins, the team takes, takes credit for it. When a team loses, the leader is responsible right, for it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's all about um, looking after other people, getting getting the best out of them. And we're talking, if we're talking business leadership, and but it, it applies. Then it goes back to recruitment, which goes back to knowing yourself and understanding your values, your purpose, what you're good at. Therefore, you don't need to necessarily replicate it in the team, or maybe you do. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And what are you weak at? And that's where you need to boost the team, and you need to bring people in to mitigate your weaknesses. I'm not huge on attention to detail. So when I'm leading a team, I need somebody, I need my number two to hold my feet to the fire. I'm more of a bigger picture. Right. I'd like to consider myself a visionary, more that sort of idea. I'm right. not Steve Jobs, clearly, but I like dealing with ideas as opposed to the real... The taskmaster, yeah, yeah, So yeah. my sergeant major, when I was a company commander at 4-5 Commando, knew the military numbers of every one of the hundred guys that worked for me. So he knew the detail. He had a grip 
absolute grip on the detail, which meant I didn't have to, which meant which allowed me to be free to look at how to set people free and right. their potential and make them great you know, and, and prepare them for the next level up and, 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 and plan the missions that we had to go on and work out the training and stuff. So. How was, how so I'm going to circle back to this in just a minute and we're, we're not going to go too much longer, but um, so how, how, how has had this experience 18 years? Uh, how do you apply that as an, as an artist, or do you? How is it? How is it? How is it? Life experience, and if you, I mean, I studied the method, and the method is all about bringing experiences that you've had that are similar or equal to the one that your character is having, and bringing them through, so your character is actually living the truth, and it's the truth from you. So I think actors, and I genuinely believe that actors who go to school and then go to and then become actors and do nothing else, I. A lot of them mm-hmm. perhaps aren't as believable as they could be because they've not experienced anything even close to the experience <laughs> that their characters are going through. Right. So how can you really bring truth to it? Right. Uh, I mean, there yeah. are people out there who can. And that, 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 that goes for it. every art form, really. Every I mean, art form. How is it truthful? How can you believe a 16-year-old singer talking about love and loss? It's... I've, I've, I've got... I've, argument. Who's the, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you off. Just no, 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 no. Please, I agree, I'm just agreeing just with you. Stone. Amazing soulful singer. That's, I think she was sixteen. She 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 broke through. Amazing voice. Loved her voice. Didn't believe a word of it. Mm. She hasn't gone through any of that. Right, right. Now you're a thirty-five-year-old singer with a brilliant voice who's gone through heartache one way or another, and suddenly, oh my god, you know, you're breaking my heart, and it's touching, and it's different, and you're actually reaching out to people. You're connecting right. through your art form, and that's what I believe. That's what I believe art is about. It's about connecting. It's about people realizing that there is a that there, there is a greater sense of something there is a humanity that that, 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 um, that connects us all that it's okay that oh my god other people have experienced what I'm going through because I thought I was alone well you're not right because up there on the stage or up there on the wall hangs a piece of art that says to you I'm not alone it says to you that person's gone through it for some reason Munch's the scream just comes to me yeah into my head now which I love as a piece of art I don't know what it's about but maybe it's about depression maybe it's about anxiety maybe it's about frustration maybe it's about something it, that's what it says to me it's ah, help but there's something there has gone through it I've I've often looked at things like that as almost like a little wink to someone from could be centuries before, but it's like this little personal wink to you, and however however it you know it, however it affects you, but it comes from it doesn't come from it's not a technical piece of work. And great, great <laughs> it's not technical. It's universal. Yeah. That's why and, Shakespeare has lived with us. That's why no, well, we can go back to, to whoever we want to talk to, even Chaucer, and great art in whatever form it is. If it endures, it has a universality to it that is still speaking to people. And so often, when you say that that piece of work is dated, it wasn't. It was never universal. Maybe it was right. never truthful. Maybe it was never honest. Maybe it was never a real experience. Maybe it was just someone making up a story. Right. When someone and you know it, don't you? You know when someone's being honest. You know when you're watching, even watching a movie, and it comes through, and something a tear springs to your eyes, your heart misses a beat, and you go, oh "My God, that person is living that." Right sure. Now. Yeah. You see it on stage, and it's even I've just got chills. You see it on stage, and you go, "Oh." That person believes what they're going through, and I feel it. Oh, you feel it. It's fucking electric. It's yeah, electric. it's it's uh, and and it's not to say that you can't be a tech. Like I said, technical. I keep bringing that, saying that word, but it's like you know, you could be, for example. And I've talked about this. It was on a different podcast, actually. Um, whenever somebody was asking me about uh, 
what you would say advice to to you when you were 20 years old or something <laughs> and uh but I said, you know, what, what I thought of, the thing that kind of, I went to film school late in life. I went to film school in my, in my early 30s. I went to Art Center, College of Design, and it's a it's an amazing school. And the kids, I mean, I was surrounded by kids. I say kids. I mean, they're like I 20 was, years I was, old. I was, I was 41, and I was surrounded by 1920. Okay, so, so this was, yeah, so, okay. They're like they're like 20 years old, whatever, from around the world, and they're really talented, really smart. And they're really self-aware. Really, really smart. But that's true, too. But for the most part, and I'm, I can't, I'm not speaking for everybody, I'm, and this is not in any way um, downplaying anybody in any way. They haven't, they haven't lived. And so because of that, they can make some really impressive shit, but it's, they, haven't, they, 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 they haven't lived, so they don't have, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to say, really, yet. Because there's nothing there yet. So, it's, so you can make, exactly. So, so there's... There's nothing that it can look great. It can be very impressive, but it doesn't. It's just not there yet. There's nothing to say. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost unfair. It's almost unfair to be that young and say, "All right, no, go get it, go do it." You know. So there is something to say with. Look um, at people like David Mamet who say that, um, that, that that theater schools kill actors. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've read I've read his I, books. I don't, I don't necessarily believe. That. I, don't I don't believe everything he says either. But it's kind of me too. He's a little cold on the actor side, in my opinion. He's but but uh, I like that. I think there's a point. Yeah, no, but what he has to say, he, he, there's a lot of respect in what he says too, though, as far as uh, the written word and, and this sort of thing. I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, you have to. But the point is, is you have to. Uh, I don't want to, it's not that you have to like suffer. It's not all that's inevitable though when you live. You just have to live. You have to live. Well, here's it, the thing. You need credibility in whatever it is you do as well. There's no, very few great sports coaches weren't great players because they've come through. They right. played at some level or not, usually at the highest level and subsequently the people that they're talking to, that they're leading, that they're coaching are listening. You say this guy knows his stuff because he or she he or she has gone mm-hmm. through it. Same in the military. Similarly enlisted to officer. Yeah, yeah. In the Royal Marines the officers are trained in the same establishment as the men. They all have to do the commando course, but Royal Marines officers have to do it faster. Every single one of the tests we have to do faster, Can, carrying more, doing it better. Whatever it is. So when you, you can't ask command, anybody anything that you can't do no, better. When you come to command, they, they know. They look and you say, he can do it. Yeah. So, And I think it's something similar with an actor, but acting is about belief. It's about endowing an experience with a truth. And if you haven't... Had that truth, if you right? Had that truth, right. Then it's acting. It's hard. It's presentational and it's technical, yeah, and which can be slick and, and look good, oh, but yeah. but it might not hunt, it might not grab you by the and balls. Some people who, for some reason, might be able to connect to it and and act believably because they have that talent. And right. And right. Between, the vast majority, I suspect, are not truthful. Right. They can't and it's not their fault. Yeah. Having experienced it to an extent. So, um, I fucking love this, by the way. This has been one of my, this has been so fucking good. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. We're like at about 45 minutes and I know we're, um, we wanted to keep it at about that. But before we go, before we wrap it up, um, I want to circle back just briefly and I'm, we'll do this again, right? Yeah, let's do it again. Well, let's, maybe we can talk more about specific shit. Maybe next time. Um, but so just briefly before we go, uh, on leadership. If you don't mind, would you like to to uh, mention what what you have wrote, coming up here? Wrote, wrote the book on leadership. So you, so, but uh, we can segue to what you're doing here. 
personally, yeah. If you'd like for a minute before we go, you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On well, and what you're doing specifically. Okay, so I came over here. When or not? No, no, if no, I'm putting no, you on the spot. I will. I will spin off some. Okay. Stuff All right. Let's do it. Where we land, mate. Um, I have always been passionate about leadership, and I'm sure that's come through in some of the, the points or the discussions that we've had over the last however long. Um, I clearly have a lot of experience in it as 18 years as a you know, as a leader in a military environment, which arguably might be one of the hardest mm-hmm. environments to lead in. Um, so I'm fascinated by it. I'm very interested and very experienced in it, and I never wanted to lose that when I became an actor, if I ever wasn't an actor, when I became a professional actor. Maybe, right, I don't right. Know. Um, but the journey since I've been here has been interesting and difficult and challenging and wonderful um, and just bloody hard to the extent where I, I, I've worked for three different leadership consultancies. I've got my green card through leadership consultant, consulting where I've been trying to bring some of the lessons of military leadership, behavioral, proce- pro- pro- procedural um, mm-hmm. processes and behaviors to the corporate space, to the business space, and indeed to individuals to help people you know, achieve what they want. And my catchphrase is, I help, deliver, help people deliver high performance on purpose under pressure. That's what we did in the Marines. Right. And that's what you're doing differently, I think, than what's out there right now is you're, you're not fucking around with this. I mean, you're, you're not being a corporate no. fucking, no, the, you know, pay-for-view. The, 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 the house of lies, management consultants come across as you know, mercenaries who are using people to make money and they're pretending to do the right things and they're saying stuff and they're just in it for five minutes and for their own sake. I'm not interested in that. I'm in, I'm part of me is actually not interested in corporations. I'm interested yeah. in people, yeah. in individuals, in helping people help themselves get better at what they want, uh, get better at what they do, get better at what they want to do and achieve where, what they want to do in life. Most people are so unfocused, so distracted, and they don't know how to do it. They're not given any leadership training. Here's the thing. This is one of my bugbears. Along with you know, the leader within, that we're all leaders. Even if you're in a darkened room on your own, you're leading yourself. Mm-hmm. If you are choosing to... to follow a moral path which is different to the one that you know to be true because we all know what's right and wrong for us if you're taking a different path you're setting a bad example for yourself Mm -hmm. and that starts to hurt you mentally I believe absolutely yeah and and I think we're all leaders in all walks of life you're a leader to me I'm a leader to you you walk down the street a kid sees you you're a leader to them Mm -hmm. you drop a a cigarette packet on the floor and tread on it and walk off someone sees it and might think it's okay to to litter whatever small example trite example we're all leaders but the other point that I have and this is from military training as well in the military when you are you're, you're, you're you're not necessarily chosen. I'm not talking about officers necessarily here, but you're chosen for a skill set. Mm-hmm. You're selected to do a job for a, for a skill set. You're put into that set. If you become good at it, you might be selected for, to, for promotion. If you are selected for promotion in the military, you're given leadership training. In the Royal Marines, you are given a, no, a junior command course to go from being a Marine to being a, a, a corporal. Um, you are given a fairly extensive, you're put on a fairly extensive pass or fail leadership course where you are taught how to lead. You can fail it, at which point you go back to your old role and you stay in it until you're selected again and you may be given another go. Likewise, if you do well as a corporal, you're selected to be a sergeant, a senior NCO, non-commissioned officer. You go on a senior command course where you have to do again. different things. In the corporate with a vast, I, I see, you know, and Walmart have had a leadership academy for years now, and Amazon are working on a leadership academy, and there are an awful lot of companies, good companies, big companies, 
oddly the ones that have survived, who put their people through leadership at various times. Some of them right at the beginning and they don't carry on. The vast majority of corporate workers are promoted because they're good at a job that they might only be good at because of technical skills, it might not require any leadership skills. They're then promoted into a position of responsibility, a position of leadership, without any training and they're expected to be able to lead mm -hmm. and to manage people. And leading and managing people is an art. There's an element of science to it, but it's mostly an art and you can be taught it mm. because we are all leaders, but they're not. So where I'm, I want to help is that. And we go into those places and help people to lead, help people to get better at what they're doing, to understand how to motivate people, how to stand up and be accountable, how to be responsible, what integrity means, what vulnerability means, how that connects you to your workers, how to understand what people want, what they're good at, and not just push them and push them and push them, and unlock their potential, unleash their potential. Because that help when you, from in my book, the single accelerator, I hate that term, it's becoming on vogue now, accelerator has yeah. taken over from um, pivoting as the term, <laughs> right. the term at the moment, accelerator, accelerator. The single magnifier of productivity, I don't know, the single yeah. thing that increases productivity in my book, it's happiness. If you're doing something you enjoy, if you like it, you're going to work harder, you're going to do it better, you're going to think about it more deeply. If you enjoy your job, you're going to be more productive. If you're more productive, the company has a better success, better chance of succeeding. Mm -hmm. If the company has a better chance of succeeding, then you're giving jobs to people, you're informing the economy, and you're better making people's lives better. So if we focus on the individuals and then getting better at what they do and understanding how to lead better, you're going to have a better working environment It's going to become more productive and everyone's going to be happier in the longer run. It's an up-spiral. Yeah, it's an up-spiral. So how do you? So how are you going to do this? What do you have planned next year? Well, I mean, I've just joined a new company called Frazzi Greenlight, where I'm going to be a managing consultant. I'm very excited to go and work with them. They're a company that has um, an awful lot, have had an awful lot of success in the corporate space already in helping people do exactly this: understand how to be better in relationships, behavioural change, driving cultural change, because you can't change a culture without changing the people. And um, I'm very, very excited. They've got a lot, lot of company, a lot, a lot of um, clients at the moment, and they're seeking more. They're seeking to double because of the amount of clients and the amount of people that are coming to Ferrazzi Greenlight now for help. Um, they're looking to double their employees over the next year. It's a hugely exciting time um, at the moment, and I'm very, very proud and honoured to be, be becoming a part of that um, that space soon. How can uh, so we'll, we'll wrap this up? But I mean, how can people? Do you have? Do you have anything? That, how, how do people get a hold of you? Is there like a? Do you have a Twitter account? You have a website? I'm on, I'm on do you want Twitter, to put it? I'm on Instagram. I've just taken my website down because it was just acting. I will be setting up a new website called The Naked Consultant soon. Okay. Uh, or The Naked Something. It's all about you know stripped bare consultancy, brutal truth, okay, honesty, integrity, vulnerability, as opposed to spin, which I disagree with vehemently. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Okay, I'll put that up there on the Triumph and Disaster all blog. Facebook. I have a fan page on Facebook. Okay. All right, we'll put it up. Anything else that maybe I didn't talk about or ask you you wanted to maybe touch on before we maybe before we have another go at this well, next time? That was, that was a great. I enjoyed that very much. I think we touched on lots of little things and lots of, well, lots of big things, maybe in a shallow way, and maybe next time we could go into a bit more depth. That sounds good. Yeah, Fucking loved it. Thanks, man. Cool. You're welcome, man. All right. 
So that was Nick German, you guys. As we mentioned, we might have him on uh, again in the future. Maybe we'll be a little more specific and talk more specifically about a couple different things. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope you guys did too. And uh, we mentioned a couple things during the talk that I made sure to put on the triumphanddisasterblog.com. Triumphanddisasterblog.com, I have like, uh, we, we mentioned Headspace where he uh, meditates, a couple of books, some things like that. So links are all up there. And um, I haven't said this in a little while, but uh, it really does help. If you guys uh, if you guys wouldn't mind to take just a second, if you like the show and like what we're doing here, just to go to iTunes and give it a rating and review. And it's not about, you know, an ego trip or anything like that. It really is about, um, it just helps Apple to promote the show. So just to help the show get bigger and better for you guys, if you could just go there and do that real quick, I'd really appreciate it. And um, hope you enjoy and happy new year. Triumph and disaster. <laughs>